Hello and welcome to this vidcast which is devoted to a very specific financial engineering tool named the SPAC. This instrument has experienced a fantastic success in 2020, which in my opinion totally justifies the title of this vidcast, which is the year of the SPAC. Now we're talking about listing a company. If you're a company, you're successful, you want to attract investors and you want to raise funds, what do you have to do? You have to go public. The problem is the process of getting public, which is named the initial public offering, which is complex, which is very costly, which is very uncertain. And the dream would be to be listed without the process of being listed, listing without IPO. It does exist and it's named a reverse merger. Then you are acquired by a company which is already listed. And as this company which acquires you is much smaller than you, you eventually control the group in the end after the merge. That's fine. When these two companies are industrial companies, it's very traditional process. And you have to identify, obviously, the synergies, the operational and strategic synergies between the buyer and the seller. A very good example is Dell Technologies. In 2013, after the leverage buyout, which was run by Silver Lake, Dell is delisted. Why? To be able to restructure the business on an operating point of view, on a strategic point of view. Once the restructuration is completed, then the company is going to go public again in 2015, but not through an IPO. Dell is going to buy EMC, EMC is a listed company and then Dell is back to the market with a reverse merger. As you probably noticed, at the moment Dell is considering spinning off VMware through this reverse merger. In fact, Dell acquired 81% of VMware, which is a very well-known company for those of you who are involved in cloud computing. Now you understand that in this traditional process, you are merging with a company which is in your business, in your industry, and you have to identify and quantify the potential strategic and operating synergies between the two companies. Now, there is something which is even simpler than that, which is named the SPAC, which stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. Again, it's a reverse merger. But what is nice with SPAC operations is that there is no operation at all. The only purpose of the company is to hold cash, waiting for an acquisition to be realized. But when the company is created, when the company is listed, in most cases, the acquisition has not yet been identified. So it's just exactly the same as signing a blank check. This is why these companies in their early stages are named blank check companies. Let's have a look at the statistics which are provided by SPAC Research. If you look at what happened from 2013 to 2020, and we have only nine months for 2020, you understand that the process was a bit marginal. Then in 2017, a first step forward. And then from 2019 to 2020, multiplied by three in terms of amounts raised. And we are end of September. Same story for the IPOs. As far as the average size, which is line one divided by line two, you move from 150 to 200 million a few years ago to today around $400 million, 
which is reasonably significant. Now, if you observe that on the graph, you observe exactly the same thing, which is something marginal, a first move up 2017, and a dramatic change from 2019 to 2020, nine months. Now, the agenda which I propose you is first to introduce the purpose of the SPAC, how it works. Then I'm going to describe the process, uh, but in real terms, not virtually. So I will take an example, a company, a SPAC, whose name is HSAC, which recently acquired Immunovant, which is a company in the biotech business. I will get a little bit into the detail of the engineering and the result of the merge. Then I will propose briefly some other examples to illustrate how it works. I will conclude this vidcast with some comments and a discussion on the sustainability of this innovation. Now, what is a purpose? The Securities and Exchange Commission gives a definition. It's a company which is created to pool funds. So you gather, you pool funds in order to finance an opportunity, an acquisition, a merger. You have a limited period of time to make the acquisition, which is 24 months. But what is very interesting is that the opportunity, generally speaking, is not identified the moment you raise the funds. So again, the duration, 24 months, the amounts raised, 100 yesterday, 400 million today. And you understand that you are going to ask somebody who is managing the SPAC to identify a target and negotiate and select the target. The name of the institution in charge of running the financial engineering and the identification and the negotiation is the sponsor of the SPAC. Three main categories of sponsors to manage the fund. Capital investment funds such as Apollo, a hedge fund such as Pershing. I'm going to discuss Pershing again in the vidcast a little bit later or a traditional and classical asset management firm, which has a specific knowledge and reputation in the field, such as Deerfield. You immediately understand the importance of the sponsor because the quality of execution is going to be the sponsor. So it is a sponsor which brings a business credibility to the SPAC. If the sponsor is not credible, you're not going to sign a blank check, obviously. Now, the three main reasons why you go through a SPAC. First, it's less expensive. The fees are lower, even though we'll have a discussion on the real fees which are paid by the company, which is listing through the SPAC. The second very important reason is that it is a much safer process, and for two reasons. The first reason is you significantly reduce the market uncertainty. Imagine you want to go public. You've been working during the last 12 or 18 months with your bankers, and now the market is collapsing for any reason. It's completely exogenous, and your banker is going to tell you, sorry, guys, we worked for nothing. And at the end of the day, it's difficult to go public today because the market conditions are absolutely not favorable. Using a SPAC is going to significantly reduce the uncertainty, which is due to general market conditions. The second reason why it's safer is when you want to list a company in a complex business. I'm going to give you the example of a biotech firm. You understand that you have to give plenty of information to the company which is going to acquire you. 
in a complex business, you have to reduce the information asymmetry between the buyer and the seller. If you list a company, you cannot disclose too many informations because it's illegal. When you sell a company to a financial holding, for example, you can produce not only your current financial statement, but you can produce also the financial statements which you forecast for the next years. It's easy and straightforward to do that when you are acquired by a financial investor, but you are not going to do that the day you are listing a company. So you understand that you can produce more complete information the day you sell your company to a SPAC than when you sell your company to the public. You produce more information on a complex business. It reduces the probability that it's a failure in the end of the negotiation. So there are two reasons why it's much safer. The last reason why a SPAC is useful is it's a much quicker process. I'm going to describe you in a minute a real story. It took three to five months, which is traditional in this kind of process. If you want to list a company, it takes more than one year. So it's quicker, it's safer, and to some extent, it's less expensive in terms of fees. Now let's take an example. The name of the SPAC is Health Science Acquisition Corporation. Very often the name is Something Acquisition Corporation. The company was incorporated in December 2018 as a blank check company. The initial capital was absolutely negligible, 25,000 US dollars. 2,875,000 common stocks were issued. Why is this very precise figure of 2.8 something million? Well, basically because it's 2.5 million, which is easy to relate with 25,000, plus 15%. Why plus 15%? Because a process of over allotment, the moment this company, this blank check company is going to be public. Share selling price, difficult. It's a division. You divide 25,000 by the number of shares and you get something which is less than one cent. The shareholders are the sponsor, Health Science Holding, and some top executives of the sponsor. They are insiders, they are top managers, and they are going to use their own funds to buy 10,000, 50,000 shares at one cent per share. This is absolutely fundamental to remember that. So it's the incorporation of the company which took place in December 2018. In June 2019, this company is listed and becomes a real special purpose acquisition company. When you want to list a company, you issue a Form S1, April the 15th, proposing 10 million units plus 15% for potential over allotment. You remember the plus 15% for the common stock of the initial blank check company. You may remember that this possibility of overallotment has a name which is a green shoe clause under the name of Mr. Greenshoe who invented this kind of process. Why do you sell 10 million units? A unit is sold for a unit selling price of $10. A unit is a package in which you have two products. One is a common stock, another one is a warrant. A warrant is a call option. These warrants, these options, have a lifetime of five years. So you have the possibility to buy a stock at 11.5 during five years and not five years on one day. 
There's a kind of a gap between quotes of $16.5. Why? Because when you buy the warrant, if the stock price is exceeding 16.5 during a period of time, generally speaking about one month, then the issue of the warrant has the possibility to force the conversion. In fact, they don't force the conversion. They say you have one month to exercise your warrant. Otherwise, we redeem the warrant at one cent. So you understand that you are going to, of course, exercise your right to convert. You have no more right to convert. You are forced to convert. This is named a forced conversion clause or an early redemption clause for convertible bonds, and it works very well. These units are sold as a package. So you can't buy the common stock or the warrant. No, you buy the unit in which you have one common stock and one warrant. Of course, after the listing, then there will be separate quotations for the stock on the one hand and the warrant on the other hand. The duration of the SPAC is 24 months, classical. After the listing, the cash was transferred to a trust managed by Morgan Stanley. Why a trust? Because you cannot use freely the cash which is in the trust. And the cash will be redeemed at maturity, redemption, if there is no business combination, if the cash is not actually used. The funds raised are exactly $10 per unit sold, less the IPO fees, less the 3.5% of the fees. The over-allotment option was exercised, the green shoe was exercised, and the company did not sell 10 million, but 11.5% million of units multiplied by $10 it makes $115 million less 3.5% for subscribers fees it is 4 million so how much do you transfer to the trust well 115 minus 4 and then you understand that those people who invested $10 at maturity if there is no business combination if the money is not used they are going to receive less than 10 but you want to make them receive $10 minimum. So what's going to happen as a complement? There's going to be a private issue of warrants, which are going to be all of them bought by the sponsor. The warrants are going to be sold at $0.5 per unit and $0.5 multiplied by 10 million warrants. It's going to be $5 million. These $5 million are going to be transferred to the trust, and then you understand that the trust has in the hands minimum $115 million to repay the initial investors in the unit, plus a few dollars to pay the fees and the operating fees of the trust and of the company during two years. Financially speaking, you understand that the warrant issue is paying the fees of the listing of the SPAC. Very strong rule on the NASDAQ for some reasons which we are going to describe a little bit later. The sponsor cannot hold more than 20% of the common stock. Now you can check. What is the number of common stocks? 11.5 million, this is a consequence of the sale of the units, plus 2.8 something million initial, and you get to a sum of 14 million 375,000 stocks. Multiplied by 20%, you get 2.8 million stocks. So it works, it's exactly 20%. This is a maximum and they get to the maximum. Now you can ask yourself a question. 
if there is an amount of cash in the trust of 115 million dollars but if there are 14 million stocks what's going to happen at the redemption if there is no business combination the initial investors in the units are going to receive much less than 10 dollars the answer is no because the only common stocks which have a redemption right are the common stocks which are issued when the company when the SPAC goes public so only the 11.5 million shares common stocks which were created when the units were sold only these shares only these stocks have a redemption right for the others they were acquired for one cent and the one cent is definitely lost this will have a major impact when we discuss the evolution of the stock price of the SPAC before they make a business combination. Now the business combination takes place and it is a company in the biotech business whose name is Immunovant. The announcement as a consequence of the negotiation is in October 2019 and at that time Immunovant is a biotech firm with a great product currently being developed and the phase 2a is supposed to be completed at the beginning of 2020 phase 2b at the beginning of 2021 so we are now in october 2019 and the price which is concluded between hsac and immunovant investors is 420.9 million dollars then you understand that the value of HSAC per share is exactly $10 per share. Why? Because the only asset in the hands of the company is the cash in the trust and the cash in the trust divided by the number of shares which have a redemption right is $10. So the value, the stock price, the price, the transaction price of the company is $10. We are going to observe that on the graph in a few minutes. Then if you want to make a stock transaction, you're going to issue stocks and stocks which multiplied by $10 give you $420.9 million. So you divide 420 something by $10 and you get 42.09 million shares. Most of them are going to be common stock. Some preferred stock marginal number are going to be issued as well. Then you understand that you issue as many shares as needed so that multiplied by $10 you get the value of Immunovant which is negotiated between HSAC and the investors and the shareholders of Immunovant. The announcement is made in October 2019 after a few months of negotiation. The closing will take place two months later. That's why this process is much quicker than an IPO which takes 12 18 months. The closing takes place two months after the announcement. Interestingly, on an accounting point of view, it's going to be treated as a reverse capitalization. Let me tell you quickly what it's about. HSAC buys Immunovant, but Immunovant is much bigger than HSAC. So at the end of the day, Immunovant is going to control the group. And then reverse capitalization means that the accounts are going to be presented as if Immunovant was the actual buyer and not HSAC. Consequence, there will be no goodwill. Now, HSAC and Immunovant are combined. The name of the company listed on stock market becomes Immunovant Inc. 
And what happens? The company is producing its 10K report at the end of its accounting year. The accounting year is ending on the 31st of March. Then you have the situation and the balance sheet of the company at the end of March 2020. Why do you read? Two items. Shareholders equity, almost 100 million. And cash, 100 million. The rest of it is absolutely negligible. It's a kind of working capital requirement item. And it's absolutely not important. But you don't see any goodwill any brand, any capitalized R&D expenses and things like that. No intangible assets. You just have a little bit of property, plant and equipment and working capital requirement items. That's it. But the balance sheet is not overloaded by intangible assets on which you will have to make an impairment test on a regular basis. Now, if you look at the evolution of stock price of HSAC becoming immunovant, what do you observe? $10, $10, $10. Then you have the announcement and the combination and the company's stock price is going to go up because the market is considering that it's a positive move. Stock price 16, 17. Then it goes down for some reasons we all observed at the beginning of the year. Then it's up again. Then there's a stabilization. Then it's up again. And today, when I record this vidcast, the stock price of Immunovant is $36.75 per share. So it's a dramatic increase starting from $10. There are two consequences of this evolution of stock price. The first one is that the company is going to be able to make additional stock issues to finance its R&D. The second consequence is we can calculate now a return on investment for the two categories of investors. Those investors who bought the units and the initial investors, I mean the sponsor and some insiders. As the stock price was up, the company capitalized on that to issue shares. Now, in April 2020, the company issued 6.5 million stocks. At which price? Well, significantly more than 10 because now the stock price is higher. So the issue price is going to be $15 times 6.5. It's about $116 million cash raised to finance the R&D of the company. Then the stock price is up again. And the company is going to use this opportunity to issue an additional 5.3 million stocks. So significantly less, but at a significantly higher price, which is $33 per share, to raise $174 million. If you calculate the sum of these two amounts, you get to $290 million. That's quite comfortable now to be able to finance the evolution of the R&D process. Second consequence, return investment. Imagine that you are the investor in the unit. What did you buy? You bought units. For example, you bought 10 units. How much did you pay? $100. 10 times $10. Now in your hands, you have 10 stocks and 10 warrants. The stocks are worth 36.75. Multiplied by 10, it's $367. That's a good return. But in addition to that, you have 10 warrants. 10 warrants give you the possibility to buy 10 multiplied by 0.5, five stocks at an exercise price, which is $11.5. But now the value of the stock is 36.75. So you make a profit, which is a difference between the stock price and the exercise price, which is named the intrinsic value of the option. 
That multiplied by 5 gives you 126.25. You make the sum, you get to almost $500. So for the investors who bought the units, they invested 100. Now it's worth 500. It is a multiple of 5. It is a 400% return on investment in less than one year. This is absolutely great. Now what is a return on investment for the SPAC sponsor? You remember that the SPAC sponsor acquired warrants in order to complete the financing of the trust. And the company also invested in shares at the very beginning, the initial common stocks. What about the warrants? Imagine that you look at 10 warrants. They cost you $5, 10 times 0.5. With 10 warrants, you can buy five stocks, the same as the investor with my 10 units. Now, the intrinsic value of these warrants is five times the difference between the stock price and the exercise price. So you invested $5 and the value of these warrants is 25 times 5, which is 126.25. So your multiple is not 5, your multiple is 25. This is a classical leverage effect of options. You also have stocks. Now you purchase one stock for one cent. The one stock is now worth $36. Now the multiple is not five or 25, it's more than 4,000. So you understand that you have a fantastic leverage effect on these initial common stocks. And by the way, this is the reason why the NASDAQ says the maximum number of shares you are allowed to hold is 20% of the total equity. Now, let me give you some other examples briefly described. The first one is Burger King, not exactly a high-tech company. The second one is a bit more tech company, which is Virgin Galactic and Pershing. As an investor, it's interesting to observe what they are doing at the moment. Burger King was acquired by 3G Capital for 3.3 billion US dollars in 2010. Now, the company was delisted and went back to the market through a SPAC system. In 2012, one third of the equity of Burger King is purchased by a SPAC whose name is Justice Holdings in partnership with Pershing Capital, which I am going to describe a little bit later. And you understand that Burger King used the SPAC to go back to the market. Later on, it was a success. 2014, acquisition of Tim Hortons, by Burger King for 11.5 billion. Merger between these two companies. The head office is transferred to Canada. Some people said it's for tax reasons, but the company said, no, no, it's absolutely not for tax reasons. Doesn't matter. And the combination of Tim Hortons and Burger King is named Restaurant Brands International. It's number three on the planet behind McDonald's and Yume Brands. Second example, Virgin Galactic. The company was listed in October 2019 through a merger, a reverse merger with Social Capital. Then you can observe on the graph the evolution of stock price of Social Capital, $10, and then Virgin Galactic with the volatility of the stock price. It goes down a little bit, then very much up, then down, then volatility, and today we are at $21 per share. So it's not 36 as opposed to 10, it's 21 as opposed to 10, but it is a success. And it is so much a success that Mr. Richard Branson says, well, it's quite interesting, the story of SPAC, let's do it again. Then he's currently creating a SPAC, 
Virgin Group Acquisition Corporation, which is going to raise $400 million, so is in the average. Last but not least, I already mentioned Pershing, the activist investor Bill Ackman. It's not about $400 million, but Bill Ackman is going to raise $4 billion US dollars with some discussions with Airbnb. And the discussions were interrupted by Airbnb. Why? You understand that the day you raise 100 million, 400 million dollars, then you are going to have an equity stake in the company after the combination is exercised and completed. But when it's not 400 million, but 4 billion, you understand that the SPAC is going to have a very significant equity stake and is going to actually control the company. Very likely, the Airbnb investors, they don't want to be controlled by Bill Ackman. Then the Airbnb investors interrupted the discussions and they said, we are going to leave the company very likely in a traditional way in 2021. You understand that it's one of the limits of the SPAC. When the SPAC sponsor wants to become the controlling interest of the company. They also mentioned some discussions with Stripe, but Stripe is not supposed to be mature enough, understand, big enough to be listed through this SPAC. Now, a few words about the financial profile of a SPAC common stock. What is quite interesting on a financial point of view is that it looks like a zero-coupon convertible bond with warrants. You might argue that zero-coupon is not a very high yield, but if you compare and confront that with the UST bonds at a maturity of two years, you have 0 0.15. 0 0.15 is not that far from zero. What really makes a difference is the convertibility. A convertible bond is converted into shares of a company, which is issuer. So you have a business, you have shares, you have identified the underlying asset. In the case of the SPAC, it's convertible in something which is not yet identified. Then you understand the importance of the quality of the selection. You have to really trust the sponsor and you have to try to avoid potential conflicts of interest between the investors who buy the units and the sponsor. A few words about this potential conflict of interest. When you are the sponsor, you purchase the initial common stocks at one cent. But the investors who are going to step in at $10, well, minus the 0.5 for the warrant, you understand that the entry point is much higher. You understand the potential conflict of interest. The sponsor is going to select, negotiate, identify, etc., and manage the combination. For the sponsor, if the $10 stock price ends to $5, well, you bought the stock at one cent, it's worth $5, it's a great multiple. But for the unit investors, it's dramatic because they were investing at 10 and now it's worth five. So they lost 50% of their investment. You understand then that there is a potential conflict of interest in the selection of the deal, in the selection of the combination. This is why it is imposed that the initial business combination represents more than 80% of the trust funds, which is a very significant percentage of the SPAC common stock. And also you have to be very precise about the governance of the investment, the process of the deal presentation. 
which kind of deal are you going to present? Which deal is going to present it to the SPAC? Which deal is going to be presented to the sponsor first? This is going to be very precise in the S1 form of the SPAC listing. And then you can try to avoid these potential conflicts of interest. Now, the last question is about the sustainability of this innovation. It is a fantastic success, but is it going to last long? Very often, SPACs are presented as a result of a power struggle between Silicon Valley and Wall Street. When you list the companies through a SPAC, you don't list. There is no IPO. You're merging. No roadshow. You don't have to present your slice 10 times per day during two weeks. And it's much faster. It doesn't take 12 months. It doesn't take 18 months. It takes three to five months. So it's much quicker and you don't have to go through this very painful process of the roadshow. Much more important than that, the price is negotiated. You have a negotiation table. On one side, you have the SPAC. On the other side, you have the company which wants to be listed. And then you discuss. The price is not imposed by the investment bank, which is going to tell you, oh, we had a discussion with some potential investors and they are not ready to pay more than X dollars per share. This is a kind of information asymmetry. You might suffer from this information asymmetry then you understand that the price is not imposed by the investment bank. It's negotiated and the negotiation is based on a much more complete information which you are allowed to provide to the buyer. You can say plenty of things to the buyer which you are not allowed to disclose the day you list the company through a traditional and classical IPO. Then you understand that with this direct link with the buyer, you have at least the feeling that you control much more your destiny. You're an entrepreneur. You created a company. This is a deal of your life. In a traditional IPO, this deal is just routine and recurrent task for the underwriter, for the investment bank. And the investment bank will work with you once in your life. They are going to work on a daily basis with the investors who are going to buy your stocks. So you understand that the alignment of interest might be much more between the investment bank and the investors rather than between the investment bank and the company which is listed. Then with the SPAC, you have much more the feeling that you control your destiny. Very often, the question of the fees is addressed when you look at the SPAC. I told you that the first motivation is that it reduces the fees. Of course, 3.5% of the $115 million of the HSAC SPAC when the company is listed is much less than uh, 7 or 8% of Immunova and Gain Public at 400 and something million dollars. But there is another component of the fees. Because you remember that the SPAC invested in shares at one cent per unit. So it's completely free dilution. This is why, by the way, the number of common stocks they are allowed to hold is maximum 20% of the total numbers of the stock. But you understand that there is a kind of zero entry cost which raises the issue of the target selection, you remember. This is part of the fees which you have to pay. The fees are 3.5 plus the dilution.
Of course, the SPAC is going to invest in the warrants which are issued in order to fund the trust. You remember the 5 million, 10 million warrants at $0.5 per warrant. And then you understand that the SPAC is going to speculate on the target quality. This is very important. But don't forget that at the end of the day, 20% of your stocks are free to the SPAC. That's part of the fees. Now, when you observe the current conditions, they are very likely, very probably, extremely favorable for SPACs. And what is observed is only 8% of SPACs have been redeemed. So in 92% of the cases of the issues, there was a business combination in the end. Is it going to last? Well, there are two questions which might be raised. The first question is, what about the evolution of listing conditions? You know that a number of companies decide to be delisted. They decide to quit the market. Why? Because it's very difficult. It's very expensive. And in the end, they are not sure that being listed is very favorable for the company. They prefer to be acquired by very big investment funds. And then they are discussing face-to-face -face with their investors instead of discussing with a market which is very difficult to identify. This is why the issue of SPAC as a sustainable innovation can be raised. If there is any evolution of the listing conditions which very much eases the process, there might be a question of is it really favorable to use a SPAC instead of a traditional IPO listing. The second reason why the sustainability is at stake is another process which consists in directly listing the firm. If you don't need to raise cash from the stock market, you can go to the market through a direct listing. This is what Shopify did. This is what Slack did. And direct listing is something which is quite easy. Then you can simply sell your stocks on the market you observe the evolution of your stock price and then you are going to be able to raise funds later with, say, secondary offerings. If the direct listing is an interesting alternative against SPAC, that might be a very big competitor. So for these two reasons, the question of the sustainability of this innovation is at stake and we'll see what's going to happen. On the one hand, on the evolution of listing conditions, on the other hand, on the evolution of direct listing as it is actually used by companies. Thank you very much.